How many of you have had this experience? Someone in your life, uh, they, they ask you, they, uh, you know, proposition you ask you, bring up to you, they, they say this, they say, hey, you want to go get something to eat? Where would you like to go? Sounds like a benign question, right? Um, easy enough. Except if you've ever had the experience where someone asks you that question and that question begins to spike panic, spark panic in your being, because the last five times this question has come up, it has ended in an argument. And each of those arguments have led to three days of bad mojo between you and the other person. And so while it seems like an innocent question, you're not in the mood to fight, you don't want the conflict, you don't want the bad mojo, and so you respond to their question, hey, you want to get something to eat, where would you like to go? You say, what do you say? You say, oh, I don't care, I'll do whatever. And then you hear them respond, okay, great, let's go to Olive Garden. Now, uh, can we all just agree that Olive Garden was a great idea in the 1990s, Right? Remember the 1990s, if you were alive then, some of you weren't, but uh, 1990s, man, Olive Garden was perfect. Standardized Italian food, safely Americanized for our palates. Great idea, especially back in the days when we were eating all the delicious carbs we wanted. Remember that? No one heard of gluten, only a few people, like, gluten, what's that? People were eating carbs, and they were like, yeah, eat as many carbs as you want. Stay away from those eggs. Those are very unhealthy for your heart. You know, just load up on pasta. That's where it's at. And we were, like, living the dream, oblivious. Remember those days back in the days when we thought the food pyramid was actual science? Remember that? So Olive Garden was a great idea back then in the 90s, and, and so was, you know, Chili's and Applebee's and all those chain restaurants. But can we just all agree that we have evolved for the better since the 1990s, can we agree? And so that now in 2019, it is 2019 and no one needs to eat at Olive Garden anymore, Jocelyn. (laughs) Right? But of course you don't say that this day because there's been conflict and bad mojo and and, and, and so you, you just say, okay, great, let's, let's go to Olive Garden. So you go along and you go to Olive Garden and, and the whole time you're trying to be a good sport but your heart is just not in it and you, you find yourself just noticing things and picking at things and of course your companion, they notice it too. No one's having a good time. So here's the question, here's the question for that scenario. I, I know some of you are really offended still by the Olive Garden thing. You're just like, why doesn't he like Olive Garden? Anyway, um, <laughs> Whatever, whatever, whatever it is, fill in the blank, make it contextualize it. The question for you is, you successfully avoided a conflict, but the question is, have you kept the peace? I want to poll the audience. Have you kept the peace? Yes? Anyone say yes? Anyone say no? What about you, live stream? They're being kind of not responsive here. Yes? No? Okay. Maybe. You're you're evenly split live stream. We can see you wherever you are. Um, You know, in life, there are these moments where we go along with someone else, and it's a good idea to do that. In fact, the Bible talks a lot about peacemaking, and it venerates peacemaking. And I can't tell you the number of times in Scripture God calls his people to peace. Steve Hauer, my predecessor, who's a great mentor of mine, he even talked about how when you're in a conflict situation with someone, a simple question to ask yourself is, does this decision matter more to me or does it matter more to you? And if it matters more to you, if you seem to be more passionate about it than I am, then just let it go. Let, let you make the decision. It's, it's easier that way. If I'm passionate about it, then I weigh in. And, and that's been really helpful to me in my own journey. It's, it's saved me probably a lot of fights, a lot of bad mojo, a lot of conflict. And yet there are some of us who don't just do this once in a while to keep the peace. There are some of us who have made a lifetime 
of decision-making moments like this over and over again. This is the way we make our decisions. Day after day, hour after hour throughout the course of our lives, we, we, we consistently say, hey, whatever you want, and we stuff whatever it is that we want, our needs, our wants, for the sake of just going along with the flow, keeping the water smooth, avoiding conflict. And this morning I want to ask you, do you know someone like that? For me, I think of my mom. Um, my mom is a peace-loving person. And, and I remember um, every birthday or Mother's Day, whenever your kids have to get you a gift, um, we'd ask her, Mom, which, by the way, is, is such a racket, right? Mom, what do you want for your birthday? Now can I have some money to go get that for you? I mean, what kind of deal is that? Um, but anyway, when we asked my mom, uh, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for Mother's Day? She, she would always say the same thing. She would say, I, I don't want any gifts. I, ju- I just want peace. I just want my kids to get along. And of course, we rolled our eyes, thought she was being dramatic. But it turns out, my mom, that's really what she loves more than anything else. She hates conflict. It makes her sick to her stomach. She just can't handle it. I, I think of her. Who do you think of? Or I think of moments with my kids where as they're growing, they're trying to figure out how to express what it is that they need or want. And sometimes doing that feels a little bit dangerous. You know, you might make mom and dad upset. And, and so we have this policy in our house. We don't always execute it perfectly, um, as my kids will attest to. We have this policy in our house that says, you have the right to ask. I have the right to say no. And none of us should feel bad about it. We're trying to prevent a lifetime of decisions like that where you choose peace over what it is that you really want. But, but see, here's, here's the deal for us, that, that for some of us, we do this for a short season of time, and, and making these peacemaking deals, it's a good idea some of the time. It's wise, it's diplomatic to keep the peace, to let other people have their way some of the time. But it is a terrible idea to do this all of the time. And even Ecclesiastes gets to this. There's this great chapter in Ecclesiastes, you probably heard it before, but it talks about how there's a different time or a different season for every activity under heaven. And included in that, it says a time to love and a time to hate. To dig into that word another time. But, but look at this, a time for war and a time for peace. That means that every time, every moment, every season is not a season for peace. And some of us know that and we're okay with that and some of us have a very hard time with that. Because we want it to be all peace, all the time. But, but here's the deal. If you spend too much of your life going along with other people for the sake of keeping the peace at all costs, the cost will be greater to you than you can even realize, even, even imagine. And there's a deep cost also associated to all of your relationships, to true connection with other people and with God himself. See, throughout this series, we're talking about these nine paths that we as people tend to all walk, and we're we're unpacking it as we go. But today, I really want to talk to those of us who have spent a lot of time on the path of peacemaking or the path of harmony. Um, If if you aren't sure if that's you or not, maybe this will help. Um, If you're walking the path of harmony for any length of time, you can keenly sense and diffuse conflict. If you're one of these people, you just kind of have antenna, you have radar for conflict, Whenever there is a disturbance in the force, you know it, right? You can sense when someone's getting upset before anyone else. And not only can you sense it, but usually you're pretty good at diffusing it. You know exactly what to do to restore balance and harmony. 
This can make you a great um, diplomatic negotiator type person. Or what about this? You're self-denying, you're unselfish, you're caring. You tend to be these things. Like no one would ever call you a selfish person if you spent a lot of time on this path. Or uh, third, you have the superpower of making others feel included. Again, do you, you know anyone like this? Or maybe this describes you. Because you can sense and diffuse conflict or when people are uncomfortable, you know the moment someone is feeling excluded you're so aware of it. Or you know when someone feels not wanted, when they're pulling away. And, and so you have the superpower of, of sensing it and drawing them back in. Again, do you know people like this? Is this sounding familiar? Like anyone in your life? Is this sounding like you? Or uh, continuing on, uh, you can see both sides of every issue. And so, for some of you, this gets you the title of being a flip-flopper. People may think you're spineless or have no conviction or you change your mind too much. And, and that's not necessarily the case. It's just that you can really sit down with someone on one side of a, of a disagreement or an issue and you can hear them and, and you can hear them so well that you can really see their perspective. And then you sit down with the other person on the other side of the issue and you really, because you listen and you're sensitive, you can hear their thing. And, and so you see both sides of the issue. And again, these people can be master negotiators. They can, they can resolve conflicts of epic skills that the rest of us would just blow right through. You're flexible. Uh, because for you, more than getting your way is everyone getting along So you just learn to be adaptable and flexible. Or or this one's kind of different. Uh, If you walk this path a lot, you'll notice that maybe you're a person who loves the outdoors or any other tranquil spaces or places. Uh, For you, solitude isn't a problem. For some of us, it's a spiritual discipline, solitude. Getting quiet is important. Being alone is important. Uh, For you, if, if this is your path, that's not a difficult thing for you to do. You have no problem with solitude. And so more solitude probably isn't your path to growth. You need it, but you don't need more of it. You need some other stuff that we're going to talk about today. Uh, but, but you love being alone. Maybe that's outdoors. Maybe that's putzing around the garage when no one else is bothering you. Maybe that's sitting at a sewing table, making something, creating something. Maybe that's uh, reading a book on your own. You love being in tranquil spaces because it just kind of helps your heart find the peace that you're looking for. Now, now if you think about this list and you look at this, you, you might think like, everyone should do this. This sounds amazing. And while there's some great attributes to walking this path, here's the thing, and and this is true of every path that we're going to talk about in this series. Although on the surface it may look like, wow, that's, that's really good godly stuff. What contentment. The truth is, the things that drive this kind of behavior, that drive these kinds of attitudes, aren't always healthy. In fact, some of the things that drive this kind of stuff that, that force us onto the path of harmony are things that actually um, require a lot of attention. Uh, they're important for us to look at. See, if you dig deeper on harmony, here's what you'll discover, that you fear strong feelings, uh, that your strong feelings or desires will cost you your relationships. See, if you spend a lot of time on this path, you, you see life as too often a tug of war, and your great fear in a tug of war, if, if you pull a little too hard, if you assert yourself that the other person on the other end of the rope is going to let go, and you may win, but you lose the relationship. And so for some of you, um, maybe that means when you were younger, like no, no one saw you or heard you, it just didn't matter what you needed or wanted, or there was a lot of conflict and you grew up walking on eggshells. Any, anyone in the room feel like maybe they've 
got a, if, if eggshell walking was an Olympic sport, you'd be awesome at it because you've done it your whole life. Uh, that's often because you're afraid that if, if you assert yourself, if you really have a strong feeling or desire, if you say, no, I don't want to go to Olive Garden, it'll cost you the relationship. Or uh, next, you struggle prioritizing and handling distractions. If you walk this path, you probably love distractions because distractions keep you from having to make priorities. Here's the problem with priorities. The moment I declare something to be more important than something else, that's going to create conflict for that thing to have its way. And for most people walking this path, they don't want conflict, and so they'll resist making priorities because priorities are just a way to create tension and conflict that uh, you're often trying to escape. Sometimes these people are called people who, um, there's a, a deadly sin associated with these different paths. Sometimes this gets associated with the deadly sin of sloth. Not flattering, I know, right? But it really just means that you, you'd rather not do this work. And it's not just because you're lazy, it's because you're afraid of the conflict that it might, might bring. Or a third, you're not angry. No one would ever call you angry. You're, you're a peacemaker, you're harmonizing, but you're strangely passive-aggressive. See, when you constantly are saying no to yourself, when you're burying it, when you're stuffing it, when you're letting other people have their way, it's only a matter of time before resentment starts to leak out. Before you become frustrated that no one cares about what you want, no one sees you or hears you, and so you you won't get angry, but you'll start to be passive-aggressive, or every once in a while, um, these harmonizers, they're kind of like a 1972 Pinto. Any of you remember those cars? My mom drove one for a little while. They're cute little cars, and they look innocent enough, but man, if you hit them the wrong way, they're prone to explode. And for some of you, that's you. I mean, you never get angry, but every once in a while, there's a weird freak out because of all of this, all of this tension that, that builds up. Or fourth, um, you fall asleep to yourself. See, see, this is really the crux of walking this path, that if you want to get along with people more than anything else, then there is a trade-off that has to be made, and that trade-off is that you fall asleep to yourself. You see, you start to over-adjust to what other people want, to their needs and wants. You start to merge with other people's goals and dreams for their life because it's too difficult or too stressful or, or too you know, dangerous to think about your own. And, and, then, and then every once in a while, you feel this like, this calling inside of your spirit that says, well, maybe, maybe I want, or maybe I should, or maybe God is calling me to, and that may feel exciting for a moment, but, but the next thought that comes in your mind when those things rise up, when God sparks those things in you is, no, I better not. Because if I do that, that's just going to create tension. That's just going to create problem. There's not enough time. There's not enough resources. There's not enough. And, or, or man, that'll disrupt what's going on in other people's lives. And, and in order to keep saying no to yourself, eventually you stop saying no and you just fall asleep. You stop asking the deeper questions. You no longer say, God, what are you calling me to do? Because that's a dangerous question. And you just go along through life and you try to soothe yourself, you try to satisfy yourself and, and you just try to stay asleep to what it is that you want, to you need, what, what God's calling you to. Does that sound familiar to anyone? And then here's where it gets even scarier. If you can't fall asleep on your own, then you start to numb, you start to narcotize with food or drink or pills or whatever it takes just so that you don't have to hear the cries of your heart anymore. And and this may not sound bad, but ultimately where you end up, if you stay on this path, you fall asleep to yourself, and you end up here, you have no idea what you really want. Even if someone sits you down and says, what do you want in life? 
you have no idea because you're so out of touch with the needs, the desires of your heart, the callings that God has placed on you that you can't even hear. it. Now, here's the thing. We all do this sometimes, right? I mean, if you're in a relationship with another human being and it's even a somewhat healthy relationship, chances are that you're, you're choosing moments in life to do this, to kind of say no to yourself or to fall asleep to yourself. It's just natural that we do this. But there are some of you who are sitting here today and you do this all the time. This is your life. It's not an occasional thing. This is your way of living life. And a deep-seated belief for you is that, is that you've got to have peace in your environment and you've got to have harmony in your relationships if you're ever going to be okay, if you're ever going to have peace in your own spirit. And so you spend your whole life attending to all the things around you, hoping that will give you peace inside, but it doesn't work this way. See, what happens if you live life on this path way too long, this path of harmony, What happens after a while is that this peace at all costs approach to life will eventually put you in deep inner conflict. It will rob you of all peace. See, back to that question earlier. You've saved yourself from the conflict, but have you kept the peace while you're sitting there choking down pasta at Olive Garden? The answer is no. See, peace is way trickier than we might imagine. Uh, you can think about peace often as, as this, uh, an internal state of being without inner turmoil or anxiety. Like peace is the absence of anxiety or turmoil. Or Merriam-Webster gets close to that. It says a state of tranquility or quiet. Another definition from them is a freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions. That's kind of how we think of peace. Just get rid of the bad stuff, the bad noise, the, the uncomfortable stuff. Uh, but then it goes on and it says, peace can also be defined, defined as harmony in personal relations. It's not just about being rid of the bad stuff here, but it's about having harmony, true harmony in my relationships. And I I think that's getting closer. But where I see peace the clearest is I see peace the clearest in John chapter 20 where Jesus is back from the dead, he's resurrected. And he's appearing to all of his disciples together for the first time. And these guys have been through it. I mean, they've watched their leader, their savior die. And they don't know what's going on, and they're terrified. They're wondering if the religious leaders are going to come for them next. And, and so they're all twisted up, and they're locked in an upper room together. And then Jesus appears to them. And, and here's where I see a true definition of peace. Look at it with me. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, the, the day Jesus rose, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, his, his uh, battle wounds, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, on the surface, this sounds like the way we normally think about peace. They're distressed, they're sad, um, they're afraid, Jesus comes, the fear's gone, now they have joy, perfect. But that's only the beginning of what Jesus is teaching them about true peace. Look what he says next. Comes at it again. It says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So so there's some purpose here, which is important later on. Uh, And with that, he breathed on them. Now, how intimate and weird is this? Just add up on your fingers right now. How many people do you allow to breathe on you? Right? You're, like, you're like, I mean, I don't need fingers. I, you know, I don't need anything because no one breathes on me. That's, not, that's very uncomfortable. But look what Jesus does. He, he breathes on them and he said, 
receive the Holy Spirit. See, the Hebrew word that we translate peace is this this Hebrew word shalom. I'm sure you've heard it. Shalom. And it means so much more than just an absence of turmoil or conflict. In Hebrew, shalom is, is fullness, it's abundance, it's wholeness. What Jesus is showing them is, is shalom is more than just I'm taking your fear away. You don't have to be afraid of the Jews anymore. Shalom is I'm now standing in the room. In all of that grief and loss and disconnection you feel, I'm meeting that. I'm filling your hearts with connection and love and rescue. It's Jesus. Shalom is Jesus breathing on them the Holy Spirit so that they are now indwelt with the very presence of God. See, that's what biblical peace is. It's not just there's no conflict and there's no distress in my life. It is truly being filled to the point that you are whole. You can say, it is well in my soul. And it's so profound that even even when there's turmoil around you, there's, there's a wholeness within you that enables you to persevere in life without all the turmoil. See, this is the kind of peace that God intends for us to have. This is the kind of peace that the Bible talks about. It's not just satisfying conflict, whatever the cost. And I hope today as you sit here, you're thinking, okay, so how do, I, how do I get that? Maybe I know how to do the thing of keeping people in my life happier to keep my environment harmonious. How do I find this short of Jesus standing in the room and just breathing on me and giving it to me? How, how do I get there? Well, I think Paul can help us. Paul is a leader in the church. And in the book of Philippians, it's a part of the New Testament, he's writing a letter to a church and there's some conflict there that he's gonna address. And as he's helping them with this conflict, he's gonna give us the secrets of finding a deeper kind of peace. Here's what he says. He says, I plead with you, Odea, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. See, there's a conflict going on here. He says, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, the, the leader who's receiving this letter, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, who names are in the, whose names are in the book of life. So Paul's saying, there's this conflict, and these are these good women who fought for the gospel. We're part of the family of God, and, and there's a fight. And Paul says, you know what? It's not good for us to live in conflict forever. That's true. The peacemakers have it right. God's intention is that we would come back to unity of mind, that we'd be of same mind and purpose and that we'd come back together and we'd, we'd put our disputes away. And, and so Paul's saying, hey, talking to these leaders in the church, don't just let this conflict go. Help these women get back to uh, being same-minded about this stuff. But, but that's not where he leaves it. He goes on and he says this. He says, now, and, and this isn't changing the subject, I don't believe. I think it's on the same path. Now rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. If you're walking the path of harmony, gentleness is your thing. You're so good at this. But notice Paul's talking about a gentleness that is accompanied by joy, not a gentleness that's accompanied by resentment or bitterness. Not passive aggression. He goes on. He says, do not be anxious about anything. And and if we've walked this path or in life, this is what we're so often trying to get rid of, our anxiety, the stress in our minds and our hearts, the stress around us, we want to fall asleep to it. But Paul says, okay, don't be anxious about anything. But here's the key, here's the secret. But in every situation, 
by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. See, this is profound what Paul says here. There is this teaching that has crept its way into Christianity, and it, it is not Christian, and yet so many of us embrace it. And that teaching is that we as people, our job or our responsibility is to deny ourselves and to erase ourselves and eventually to just kind of, you know, like fall asleep to ourselves as if the self doesn't really matter. And uh, I don't know why that's ever made its way into Christianity. It sounds Eastern or Buddhist to me. I'm not an expert in Eastern religions, but I I can tell you this, it's not Christian because here's what Christianity teaches. That each of us, that you were created by a unique, specific blueprint, a deliberate blueprint of God himself. And you were made to be like no one else, even if you're, you know, a, a biological twin. You were made to be like no one else. And you were endowed with a specific purpose, a calling that is like no one else's, even if it looks kind of like someone else's and it's different, it's distinct for you. That's what Christianity teaches. And Christianity teaches us that, that God calls us into a relationship with himself, a relationship. Do you know what that means? That means that God is inviting us to bring ourselves to him. He wants you to be in a relationship with him, the real you. That means all of you, not just agreeable you or turmoil, trouble-free you. God wants you to bring all of your mess, all of your needs, all of your want, all of your conflicting agendas, all of your inner turmoil. He invites you to bring that into a relationship with him. See, that's what Christianity teaches. That's the teaching of the Bible. And so often we we start to believe that if we're ever going to have peace in our hearts, we just have to keep saying no to ourselves. We have to deny ourselves and to be sure there are some things inside of you that need to be denied. There are sinful, unhealthy things that, yeah, you got to call those things out. You got to put those things to death because they're going to damage you and they're going to damage your relationships, right? You, You know what those things are in your life. But this blanket idea that we're just called to deny ourselves, erase ourselves, Why would God want you to erase what he designed, what he created, what he spoke into being? Why would God want you to erase the unique purpose that he's placed on your life? Why would God ever want to undo any of that? And yet this idea creeps in that that's what we're called to do, but it's not what we're called to do. Paul says here, hey, if you're anxious... If you're anxious, if there's tension, if there's conflict in your life, the answer isn't to fall asleep to it. So somehow you can just have your, your, your you know, very thin, narrow idea of peace. Paul says, no, no, the thing that you need to do is you, is you need to present those requests with thanksgiving to God. You hear that? You understand what's, what's, what it is that your heart longs for and you bring those to God. You bring those things into your relationships and by the nature of those relationships, those things will get sifted and refined and worked through and that's how you grow, not by stuffing it, but by bringing those things to the table. And, and so Paul says, here's what you do. You, you bring those things into your relationship with God and then look what happens. Here's the promise. And then the peace of God. You see that? And then the peace of God. It's not when you stuff it. 
that's, that's how you try to get your worldly, normal, human peace that isn't really peace at all. It's just an absence of conflict. But the shalom of God only comes when you bring your full self to God in relationship and you present your needs before God. And you say, God, I don't even know, but this is what I think I want. This is what I think I need. This is what I'm crying out to you for. And then when we do that, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds, right? Peace of heart and peace of mind. You will have them in Christ Jesus. See, there's no other way to find real peace, real shalom, if that's what you're after. It's not in falling asleep to yourself. It's not in denying yourself. It's only in presenting your full self to God. Because, because when you do that, when, when you bring your needs, your wants, when, when you go to God and say, God, I don't know what my purpose is, but I, I believe I have one. Will you help me find it? I know that's a scary prayer for some of us. Because what if God shows us? And what if it's hard? And what if it brings tension into our lives? And what if it brings conflict into our relationships? But if you're someone who's kind of a, you know, afraid of that question, if you're resisting that question, here's what God says. He says, bring that all to me. Part of your fear is that if you assert yourself, uh, people in your life are going to abandon you. Watch, God says, watch, watch me. When you bring yourself to me, I'm not going anywhere. I'll be right here. I, 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 can, I can receive all of that. I can help enlighten the desires of your heart that you don't even understand when you bring them to me. I can show you what your purpose is. I can help you sift between the good desires and the bad desires. You're never going to figure that out if you just keep stuffing it. Bring it to me, God says. And when you bring it to me, then you'll find shalom. Then you'll find peace. Let me tell you, this this can only happen on account of Jesus. If you're a God seeker, but you're not sure about Jesus yet, let, let me just tell you, Jesus is such an important piece in all of this because Jesus is our proof that we can go to God with anything we have and we won't be turned away we won't be rejected it's not going to cause conflict or distress because Jesus is God's envoy his emissary to the planet earth and Jesus came and Jesus' whole agenda was us he didn't come with, with swords or clubs to beat us into submission or to get us in line. His, his whole focus was on us. And so he gave his life on a cross. Why? For us so that we could know wholeness in life, so that we could know shalom like the disciples in the upper room. See, if you feel like you can't do this with anyone else in your life, you can't, you can't even begin to articulate your wants or your needs to them because you're afraid of what it will do. You can do this with God in heaven. And Jesus is your proof that God cares, he understands, he wants to hear it, he wants to receive all of you and he will help you sort it out. And any other way to come to peace in your environment, in your relationships, in your own heart, it won't work. But when you begin to do this, when you feel yourself being received by God, when you see that he doesn't go anywhere, but instead he joins you in the work of trying to figure out what's in there, what it is you really need, what it is you really want, what he's really calling you to, then all that work you did to put yourself to sleep, you start to wake up. See, if you're someone who's walked this path for a long time, 
you know what I'm talking about. But there's hope for you today. And Jesus, the Son of God, he stands before you today just like the disciples in the upper room and he holds out his hands to you as evidence of his love for you. And he invites you to come and to bring to him every need, every burden, every fear, every question that he is delighted in you, he is not burdened by you. And he comes to you today with the promise of peace. Listen to these words again. Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, here's how you get out of that anxiety, being in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Again, as we prayed today already, for vision, for purpose and calling. And God, those can be scary things in our lives sometimes. God, some of us right now are sitting here and and we're afraid of what it would mean if suddenly we had a calling because everyone in our life depends on us to be the one who helps them fulfill their calling. Or uh, God, it, it seems crazy to think about actually knowing what we need or want because it just doesn't seem like there's enough resources in the world to get what we need or want and it'll just cause conflict and tension anyway. But God, what we need right now from you, no matter who we are, whether we're a regular on this path of harmony or whether we just kind of visit it once in a while, what we need from you is we need you to breathe on us the power and the presence of your spirit. And Father, we pray that you do that right now. And as you do, as your spirit takes root in our life again, Father, I pray that you would call us awake, especially those purposes that you've created us for to stir them, stir in our imagination, stir in our hearts. And Father, I don't expect that you're going to reveal this all right now. But right now, give us the assurance that it's there and that you want us to fulfill the thing that you've created us to do, you've called us to do. And so God, by your spirit, bring us back to being fully awake Help us be okay with the unnerving emotions that come along with that. But God, remind us that you're here. You're going to shepherd us through this. You're going to illuminate our way. You're going to show us the path that we are to go from here to not live as tyrants or not to be demanding of people in our lives, but to humbly, gently let you lead us down the path discovering who it is you've called us to be. Father, begin something new in us today. Make us fully awake to your voice, to your spirit, to your calling through Jesus. Amen.